You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome to Claret and Blue podcast. This is the latest episode and we've managed to bag ourselves another special guest. Please give a warm welcome to Mr Curtis Davis. How are you Curtis? I'm good thanks, yeah, not too bad. How are you mate? <laughs> yeah, good thanks. I was just chatting to you um, before we got going saying it's been been a while since since I last got, got to talk to you. So you've been gone from Villa, I think about a decade now. So can we take you way back when to when you were still a West Bromwich Albion player? and you first heard of Aston Villa's interest. How did that come about, first of all, Curtis? It was a mad one, really, because at the time um, when when I was at West Brom, we'd obviously been relegated, had a season in the Championship, and then um, we lost in the playoff final. But through that season, I was always told if we um, if we don't go up, I'd be able to leave. And basically, all along, I thought I was going to Spurs. So um, I, I was basically um, down the line kind of with them and, and hoping it would come off, because for me, that would be... Going back home, the training ground is literally like 15 minutes from my house in, in London. So I thought, yeah, that would be right. And then it never ended up materialising. I think Jeremy Peace was was holding out for more money than Daniel Levy wanted to pay. And then at the 11th hour, um, Villa came in and it was a massive move. Yeah, it was a no-brainer really, you know, to to go to, to Villa. And, and, you know, I, I compare it at the time as well we were doing better than Spurs anyway. Like whenever we played Spurs, we beat them. Um, so it was actually a, a better move than Spurs at the time in terms of football-wise. I had a gentleman's agreement rather than putting a price in my contract with the chairman we didn't want to do. But, you know, he said, looked me in the eye with Brian Robson at the time, who was the manager when I signed that contract um, and said, you know, if, if we don't go up, we'll let you go. And unfortunately, come the end of the season, I kind of left it a, a week or so until um, once we'd lost the playoff final and, and just asked what kind of price he was looking for so my agent can kind of do his work. And unfortunately, I was told, no, we're not selling you. So um, I had to force the issue. Unfortunately, I had to do things that aren't characteristic to me. Um, but, you know, I, I had promises broken to me and, and ultimately I, I just ended up handing in transfer requests every day, literally every day, um, to to reiterate my point and it was it's a shame it had to end like that I felt like I was um, hung out to dry a bit but ultimately that was it and and I don't regret it because it got me my move to Villa So to the uninitiated what actually is a transfer request are you actually having to print out a piece of paper and sign it and put it on someone's desk each day or? Yeah well a, an official transfer request is you know I'll put my name I Curtis Davis would like to um, leave the football club blah blah with your Jummy, with your blessings as such, in 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 better words, of course, um, and then you know, date it, sign it, hand it in. But because I was doing it every day, it became like a, a running joke between me and the chairman that um, I'd go into Jeremy Peace with my one for the day, and he'd have a, a blank one on his uh, one ready on his table to hand back to me. So it became like a, a running joke, um, a bit of tit for tat. But you know, it was something that I had to do, and and I think. The, the reason, obviously, Baggies fans are obviously upset. I know this is a Villa podcast, but they're upset with me is because, one, it's, it's you know, the fact I was a captain and I left, but two, obviously, to jump across town and go to Villa, it obviously was a bit of salt in the wound. Am I right thinking you joined on deadline day? I believe it was done officially on deadline day, yeah. So I think I maybe went across and had my medical and everything on, whatever it be, the, the 30th. And then um, come deadline day, yeah, I signed a deal. Um, it wasn't... At, at the last last minute, it wasn't one of those exciting ones that you know goes down to to eleven o'clock and 
and you have to get the paperwork in. It was it was done and dusted. It was just a case of the next day we could sign, um, do the press and, and do the media, whatever I needed to do. Um, yeah, and I was a, I was a happy man. It was a very, very simple move. Yeah, like I said, I was living in Birmingham City Centre at the time. I was only 22. So I was living in Birmingham City Centre and it was, you know, with the Spurs one, it's either I go home to where I'm from or I, I stay in Birmingham. And it was obviously easy for me. I didn't have to, you know, make all new friends as such to, you know, because when you move, it's a big thing. You know, you, you, you move up to a new club. Yes, they're, they're teammates, but you've got no friends as such yet until you get to know them. Whereas, you know, I stepped into a Villa squad, knew a couple of lads from the England 21s anyway. Um, but yeah, I, w- I was still living where I lived. I still had my friends from West Brom. I still had my friends that I'd met around from Birmingham. Um, and it was just a case about getting out there and, and trying to do your best with your football. It's funny if you mentioned Birmingham City Centre, Curtis, because I'm taking you back now. I remember going, I think it was like a, a sportsman's dinner or something, a bank restaurant, a Brindley place. And you're one of the few footballers my wife knows because I think you're out, out that night with us. I think you're injured. You've got your protective boot on. Yeah. And you were still still getting the boot. You're still getting the rounds in trip, triple amaretto and cokes. And on the dance floor <laughs> in a protective boot, I think it was back then. I'm surprised you, you actually remember that because, you know, it was Simo, um, John Simpson. That's right. Who yeah. uh, got the, yeah, he basically was saying, what do you want to drink? And I was on the amaretto coke back then. And uh, he just said, he didn't want to do it. He couldn't do a triple, so he did two doubles and then he poured it into a pint glass or something. So it was uh, it's quite eventful. I do remember I was one of the only ones there. I think it was it was strange. It was like a Thursday night or something for a footballers' awards, which you know I turned up with my boot on. I'd obviously had a broken foot and missed the playoff final. Um, but yeah, Simo looked after me that night and made sure I had a good time. But yeah, it's, it's a good laugh and and yeah, it's just it is it is good to like I say now it's obviously all well and good that. I am a nice guy, and I've I've obviously I've I've mixed with you lot well because ultimately I'm I'm on the path of going along the way that you lot are going, and and more media wise. So it's good that I was friendly to you all back then. Uh, I'm sure you'd have been friendly to us anyway, mate. I feel like that's the kind of guy you are. So so you've you've moved across from West Brom to Villa. Initially, it's on a loan deal, I think. What did Martin O'Neill tell you when he signed you? It was selling me what the club had. You know, I, I don't need to be sold the football club. The football club's a massive football club. It was, you know, no brain. I, I remember being a kid and even though I'm from, from London, it's it's knowing all the semi-finals of the FA Cups used to be played here and, and stuff like that. So, you know how big the football club is. Um, so, all it was is, you know, you looked at the project of how many young English players were, were not only at the football club, but were getting in the team. And for me, it was, you know, it's the step that you're going to a big club, but you've got a chance. It's not the one where, you know, uh, I'm not I'm not saying I had the option, but you go into a Manchester United or a Chelsea or something like that, and you might be signed, but then you don't know when your chance is going to come. You knew that the chances would be available to you quite quickly. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it was good to, and obviously when I signed for the club, the, the manager had the reputation of, of man management and, and almost a tactician. Um, I, I wouldn't quite say it was that, but in terms of that was my idea going into it. So I thought that this would be um, a really good move for me. So I think you had to be patient quite early on because I think I think Zach Knight had signed similar around around that time as well. It was the the infamous debut. Which have you always been so harsh a critic of yourself, Curtis? Through, even when you're growing up as a kid? Yeah, um, I think that's the thing. So I signed for the football club. I signed for a lot of money. I backed myself that I can go and hit the ground running. But unfortunately, when I turned up, um, I had a slight groin slash hamstring kind of issue which was too soon for me to play in the first game and then when we 
played, um, Zach played, and we beat Chelsea, and he scored. So it was one of them as a centre half. You're not, you're not going to get back in. Um, you have to accept. You have to bite, bite down on it, and and get on with it. So you know, when you're training hard every week, I was a player that had come from a season at Luton of playing every week, then two seasons at West Brom playing every week. So I didn't really know not playing. So it was really frustrating. And then my chance come up in the League Cup. Um, I don't know what it was called at the time, but. You know, playing against a lesser side in the championship, um, it was my big chance, basically, just to just to show exactly how good I am. And unfortunately, I probably was overly harsh on myself in terms of the level I performed at. But in terms of, in my mind, I was a lot higher than that. So what I like to do is I, I address the elephant in the room and I talk about myself. So when I did that interview with Pat Murphy, it was always talk about myself, address how I feel I did. And then I could talk about the team or talk about whatever happens moving forward. But I've always been like that, that in a win or a loss, I'll always analyse my performance and make sure that I keep it balanced. I used to do it as a kid with my dad. It was always, you know, we get in the car after a Sunday league game. I might have, when I was a striker, scored a hat-trick and he said, yeah, but you could have scored six today. And then the other side of it, you know, you might be a striker, you come away, you've lost the game 2-1 and you're like disappointed you haven't scored. But he said, my dad say, oh, no, but you set up the goal and you worked really hard. So we always had that balance. And I think I just carried that into my uh, my adult life as well. What was the phrase you describe yourself as? Was it a pub, pub performance or something like that? It's a pub player, yeah. So I, I, I just, I remember, obviously, Pat was talking. I said, well, it's not good enough. I've been been talking myself up, saying I'm ready. Um, I'm obviously not because that performance was, wasn't worthy of a pub player or something along those lines. Um, but, I, but I believed it and I meant it. You know, it was, like I say, I was harsh, but that's that's the kind of shock treatment I give to myself. Um, and ultimately, nobody could have said anything else that was going to upset me because I was more upset with myself, knowing the standards that I could play to and knowing the level that I could play to. Um, I was just really disappointed that for my for my one game that I might have in the next three months, four months, um, that one, we lost a game, but two, uh, my performance wasn't very good. So did the manager say anything? Because it was another two or three months, I think, before you got a, got another kind of look in. Did, did Martin take you to one side and say anything to you? Or did he know, having heard your interview, what you felt about it? I think there was a point he maybe said, um, like, you, sh- you shouldn't really have said that. But Martin, if like you know Martin, he wasn't overly put your, put his arm around you. So it, it wasn't a big deal as such. You know, it was maybe just a little comment that you maybe shouldn't have said that. Um, because obviously, I guess in in a way, it puts pressure on the manager that he he signed me for for all this money, and I've put in that performance. So um, it might have been that that might have been the case. But I just remember a slight comment, but nothing major. Didn't pull me in the office or anything like that, and have a a, a big debrief about my comments. It was just a case that I hope that he saw from that that I was hungry and I wanted to improve and I wanted to get in his team. And obviously, I had to wait a while. I had to wait for uh, until until Boxing Day, but eventually that chance came. I think it was Zach. Zach Knight got sent off, didn't he, in that kind of crazy 4-4 draw at Chelsea. Yeah. Once you were in, you took some shifting, didn't you? I know as a centre-half, you've, you've got basically, if you get one game, it's, you're unlikely to to keep the shirt sometimes because the, the other centre-half slash partnership have had that bond. So I came in against Chelsea. We ended up drawing 4-4 thanks to a Gareth Barry penalty late on. Um, I wouldn't say that was my best game as such, but I, I came on, it was frantic. The game was just a mad game. And, and you know, I got through it knowing that the next game is the one for me. And then um, we go up to Wigan. Um, unfortunately, one nil down. Um, 
And then, you know, we go in at halftime, get a bit of a rollicking. And then um, I come out and I, I score my, my first goal for Villa on my, on my league debut. And, and that kind of, I think, is what actually kept me in the team. It, it, was, it was my reaction to, you know, we're 1-0 down. I, I scored a good goal for us and then we end up going on to win that game. So I think that's what kind of, if I think about Martin's mentality is, you know, my last last uh, contribution was a goal and, and a solid performance. So it kept me in. And unfortunately, I stayed in for the rest of the season that I was fit until unfortunately I got, got the injury. So you used that running the team, didn't you? Your first, your first kind of long run of action for Aston Villa. That was a springboard for the very, very edges of England recognition as well, wasn't it? When I left West Brom, you know, it was about going to, in my eyes, a bigger football club, a club with ambitions and, and players that are going to push on and, and take us to another level. Fabio Capello had, had become the England manager um, around February time, whatever it was, and I was announced in his initial um, 30-man squad after playing only nine games. So for me, having come from West Brom, I played a full season in the, pre- in the Premier League with them. Unfortunately, we got relegated, but I was—I I, I performed well, was nowhere near a call-up. And then obviously you go to Aston Villa n- nine games in and I'm, I'm in Fabio Capello's first 30. Unfortunately, I didn't get in the squad, but then after that, it wasn't long after that I actually got the injury. So I don't know where that might have led early on in that time. Um, but yeah, it was it was just good to be recognised for it, within the only nine games. My performances were, were catching the eye. And, I, and I, in my mind, I thought there's so much more to come. Uh, and that's the frustration that the injury hit at that time. Does it still play on your mind now, Curtis, that you, you were so close and yet, yet so far to, to that? It does simply because you know I, I was I was in the thirties in a lot of the thirties, and then I actually got on the bench later on um, against Germany, and it's just the fact that you're there, you're that close to to getting a cap. And I'm not saying I would have wanted to be a one cap wonder, but to play for your country even once would be a dream come true. So that is the frustration, but I think more of my frustration comes from around the way which we'll we'll get on to um around the way that I was kind of out of the team and and kind of left to rot that's more of my frustration because because that obviously if you're not playing you're not going to get called up for England so um that's the kind of thing that that made it very difficult for me in my head I think you described it as being like the sound of a gunshot when when your Achilles Achilles snapped yeah it's it's such a strange one. I, I've, that's the injury I'm, I'm suffering from now. I've, I've unfortunately done it three times. So it's, it's bizarre, but had no problems at all. I think we'd already made a couple of substitutions with people um, getting injured. I think maybe Nigel got injured and I ended up going playing right back. And it literally was just a case that I bought, seen a ball out for a goal kick, just turned slowly, not not to, to rush because we were winning at the time, turned to go back to right back and just heard like a, it's like a, like really like an athletics gun. That's the way I described it. So it's like a really sharp bang. And then I kind of look behind me thinking as someone from the crowd, like kicked the ball back in and it's like hit me, but I'm thinking that's really accurate. Um, and then, yeah, then no one was behind me. The ball wasn't behind me. Ball was on the, um, in the goal kick area. And I just went down. And, and as I went to, to go down, my, my, my literally my foot was just planted on the floor with no kind of hold. So I knew I'd heard about it before, but I knew my Achilles was gone. So um, it was really surreal for the, the physio and the doctor because they were coming on the pitch. I'm just sitting there calmly as anything saying, my Achilles is gone. I've ruptured my Achilles. And they, they thought I'd be in pain. But because my nerves had gone with it, there was no pain. It's just the initial 
punch basically on the back of your heel that you feel. And then, um, and that was it, no pain. So the good thing for me and the lucky thing for me is that um, because the injury happened in London, Roddy, the doctor at the time, was um, was in touch with uh, a surgeon called Mark Davis, um, who used to do a lot of the Chelsea lads and things like that. And, and he worked at St. John's Elizabeth Hospital in St. John's Wood. So it wasn't too far away. And I managed to get surgery within, I think, like three hours or so of doing, doing the injury. So that was amazing for me. You know, like usually you have to kind of go back, ice it all up and all that kind of thing. But he luckily w- was was able to come in and perform my surgery. And, and, and that night I'd already had my surgery and was was ready to start focusing on my comeback. Okay, that's happened. But I've, I'm already on the road to recovery within hours. That must be a strange situation, really. Yeah, I've, I've never known anything like it. And, and when I speak to people and I tell them that I had an operation within three, four hours of, of my injury, they can't believe it because usually... The protocol is you have to wait for the swelling to go down and then you have the operation. But because my swelling never appeared yet, it hadn't had time for my, for my swelling to appear. So I was the other side of it that I managed to luckily get to the hospital was half an hour away and the surgeon came in. And, and I think the biggest thing for me as well was the surgeon, Mark Davis, was so simple with his definitions. It was one part of your Achilles is there. The other part is there. I'm going to pull them together. I'm going to cross-stitch it. It's going to be out for about six months and you're going to have to build your calf up and get back. And it was just like so straight down the line points for me that that's all I needed. I didn't need to be mollycoddled in terms of, oh, yeah, it's it's going to be six months, but you could do it in three or could, do you know I mean, none of that. It's just six months is what we expect. And my mindset was, right, six months target. If I can beat that, then then I've done really well and, and Mentally, I, I was I was strong strong enough to, to go through that. I think you did beat that, didn't you? Did you come back in time? I know you were available and, and playing again in August. Did you come back in time for proper pre-season or did you, well, did you hit that a bit late? Well, this is it. it it's, it's a crazy one because I, I basically didn't have a, a closed season. So my season, my closed season was, yeah, I had a couple of weeks off, went on holiday, yes. Um, but I was pretty much in or doing my work at home, whatever I was doing. So I basically was at the stage where I was kind of running and stuff like that as pre-season started. So I was able to join in some of the runs in that for pre-season and keep my fitness up. But I was fit because I'd been working all summer. And I just remember that I think I trained maybe two weeks before the season started. I started full full contact training. There was a behind closed doors, um, like pre-season friendly um, with, I can't remember who we played, but I was meant to play 45 minutes just to see how I got on. And then I played 60 minutes, I think, in that so obviously played longer, but I was happy because, you know, I felt good, no problem. And then the weekend of that game, of that game, um, we played Reading in the last pre-season game before the season starts. And I just thought, yeah, I'm going to go there. I'm going to play a, like, like no, maybe play a few minutes or whatever. Started the game, thought, oh, okay, I'll only play 45. Played 90 or sub- close to 90. It might have been 75 or something like that. And then the next week, the season was starting. So... You know those preseason, those last preseason friendlies is the team that's out is usually the team that's going to start the next week. And in my eyes, I was like, well, technically it's my place to lose. And come Man City, um, I started, and luckily we got off to a flying start. Gabby Hattrick, um, we won four two. So in my mind, like I said with Zach when I first signed, it was it's my place to lose. And obviously, I ran away with it that season. 
That must have been a real psychological boost to the fact that you'd suffered this fairly serious injury, but the manager, you'd, you'd got enough credit in the bank with the manager from nine or 10 games that he actually thought, yeah, I want this man in my starting lineup. Yeah, and that's what people think. People think I, I really like disliked Martin O'Neill in terms of like had a personal grudge. It, it was just a case of he, he he signed me. You know, he signed me. He obviously saw something in me and he played me a lot of games. So, it, you know, I, I was I was really, really relieved because at that time, you know, even when I had the surgery, Martin came to see me. Martin came to see me. He was staying down to see his daughter's. Um, I think that he had a place in London and one of his daughters was staying at his place and um, he came to see me at the hospital and just wished me well and stuff like that. So it was a big thing for me then, you know, and then to come back as quick as I did in terms of, uh, but I was back and I was strong. I wasn't just back to try and get in the team. I was strong. I backed myself and the physios knew they couldn't hold me back anymore. And the fact that the manager, rather than taking the easy option of, of, you know, playing the the player that's been fit all this time to give me that opportunity was, was massive. Um, and like I say, once you're in the team in the centre half, it's it's hard to find you, to find yourself out unless you obviously have a, a massive drop in form or an injury or suspension. So, yeah, it was a massive psychological thing for me because it felt that all the hard work I'd done through the summer and the graft that I'd put in, because I, I I only know how hard I worked because no one was there to see it, um, that it, it all paid off in the end, and, and it was uh, my just rewards, I believe, for for everything I I did. Can I ask a stupid, stupid fans question in terms of? When you when you're a footballer and you've got a kind of whatever part of the leg it is, how does it affect your kind of daily life initially? Do you have to get your missus to drive you around? And you know what I mean. <laughs> Mine was my left, um, so I think <laughs> I don't I don't really know about insurance purposes, but I was I was still able to drive. So obviously because because of my left, I've got an automatic car. Um, I was still able to drive, so it didn't affect me so much that side. Um, but obviously, you know, getting around the house at night. So if if I'm if I'm getting out of bed at night to to go get something, go to the toilet, say, I'm having to get the crutches, you know, make loads of noise at night, get up, go over. And then you know, you might have to turn the light on because you don't want to slip. So you're waking yourself up, and so you don't really think about those things. But the other side of it is, I actually had um, an issue with my um, heel. So whilst I had the cast on, I was being overly brave and I thought there was a lot of throbbing near the bottom of my heel and I just assumed it's where the blood is just can't move, you know. And um, unfortunately, when I took the cast off, I had a pressure sore. So I had to have like a close to a centimetre of my heel cut out um, to help it recover. So, you know, I, I, like it's, it's really frustrating that side of it. But in my head, I was thinking to myself, well, I don't want this to stop me kicking on because I've got yeah. this this pl- blister, blood blister type thing. So luckily Fergus, um, the what's it called, chiropodist, he sorted out my blister and he gave me some special bandages that allowed it to heal while still working. So, you know, I cracked on. But um, yeah, but it is, it is a funny one that, you know, those little things like that can actually cause you a longer injury, even though my Achilles was fine. It, that kind of could have held me back. Um, but yeah, it's it's just the, the main things are if if it's my right, like my right now, I, I couldn't I couldn't drive for for f- close to three months. Um, so that's frustrating. Independence, particularly at the moment with lockdown, no one can come and see me. I can't go see anyone. Um, I couldn't drive. I couldn't even just take myself out for a little while. It's really frustrating. Um, I even got a mobility scooter at one point. So um, that's kind of like how how frustrated I was getting. I just wanted to get out and and have a little bit of freedom, you know. Um, <laughs> But that's the thing. People don't really realise that side of it. They think everything's sort of done for you. But 
but luckily for me as well the, the club did did arrange um people to to take me to and from training as well because I really wanted to be in I wanted to be with the lads because at home I love my family to bits but you know I missed missed being part of that that core banter and stuff like that and and seeing the lads day to day around the games and speaking to them about the games and engaging in football um, rather than watching Paw Patrol or Pepper Pig all day so um, yeah so it was it was really important for my mental health which you know nowadays it's spoken about a lot loosely but for me it, it was a big big step for me. That's a great image of you just tearing down the road on a mobility scooter like some souped-up pensioner. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to kit it out one, but he didn't have a he didn't have a one two five. Unfortunately, mine only did like it, yeah. six, six miles an hour, so it, it weren't too bad. <laughs> it's a business idea, there. You know, pimp pimp my scooter. I quite like the idea of that. Yeah, we'll, we'll um, start. We'll, we'll get a new podcast going. Yeah, on the side. <laughs> <laughs> um, taking you back into the start of your second season, obviously you and Martin. Martin Larson became this this partnership. Now we've been lucky enough to, to get Martin on and get his his verdict of, of his time at, at Villa. What was it like? Did did you learn a lot from from playing alongside him? I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to say no. He was he was obviously a lion. He was brave as anything. Would head head everything. Um, was was an out and out natural defender. You know, obviously I've played for some good, but one of the most natural defenders I've played with in terms of actual heading the ball tackling, kicking the ball, whatever you need to do. But the reason I say I didn't really learn a lot is because I don't feel we had that partnership as such. I I more felt like he was he was Martin's guy, as in Martin O'Neill's guy. And he was like the leader. He was the captain. He was the man that could, you know, go and win all those headers. And, and I found we didn't really have a, a relationship. It felt more like I had to bend to adapt to his game. So in terms of, as just as an example... When you're a centre-half, if I'm playing right-side centre-half, he's playing left-side centre-half. The ball's down the right side, it's mine to head. If it's down the left side, it's his to head. Anything in the middle, loud shout sorts it out. That's that's what kind of I work with. There were a lot of times where, you know, I'll be about to go for a head and you just hear, Martins! And he's coming steaming. And don't get me wrong, I'd usually win it. But I know in my head, even though I'm in the right and this is my side, I know that if Martin doesn't win that header... And they get flipped into the space that he's just evacuated. I need to be there to cover because if not, O'Neill's going to be on my back. So that's what the only reason I say I didn't really learn a lot because, you know, there wasn't that kind of relationship in terms of give and take. It was kind of Martin. Martin was the leader of it, and I had to play a backup role as such. And and that kind of um, yeah, that that's that's the only reason I'd say that he was individually a brilliant centre half and not not to say that he never spoke to me in terms of left shoulder right shoulder none of I don't mean it like that I just mean in terms of when I talk about centre half relationships I don't think that was my favourite relationship yeah. I felt it was more I had to I had to sacrifice a lot to to make sure I was I was in the right place for him basically really insightful that is because from the outside looking in we don't get this kind of knowledge of how dressing rooms work but there's almost the kind of expectation that even fans favorites and big players and and important players there's almost this expectation the outside looking in that everybody's equal but that's not necessarily the case yeah but again it it wasn't like we had an issue we were we were good we got on well in terms of us it wasn't like an issue that that like had bitterness towards him off the pitch or anything like that but when I think about that squad I think Gabby could pretty much get away with what he wanted to do. Ash could pretty much get away with what he wanted to do. But they were in forward areas, whereas Martin's a centre-half. For me, like I said, I had to bend to make sure that whatever he does, I'm the other side of it. 
And that's why I found it quite difficult. I think you made 45 appearances that season. Did you, and I hate to phrase it like this, because I know it's never that simple, but did you think you kind of got it sussed? You're becoming an established Premier League player with, with a, a, a big Premier League club. You must have felt good. Yeah, 100%. I'm not saying I felt, thought I had it sussed, but I felt I'd earned my stripes, put it that way. You know, to play that many games for Aston Villa, play in Europe, um, captain the club in Europe, um, getting get in England squad and be on the bench for England it, it was looking at the trajectory that I wanted it to go. And, and, but I still wanted more. I wanted to make sure I was the main man <clears throat> that could lead from the back and, and, you know, eventually maybe captain this football club. You never know what goes on going forward. But, you know, I wasn't satisfied by any means, but I was quite happy with the progress I made, particularly being the year after I'd just come back from a really, really serious injury. And I think that's why, you know, I was really pleased with how that season went overall. There's a couple of people I've asked from, from your vintage back back in 2009-10. Um, just about, just because it amuses me, it might not amuse you, just 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 the John Carew thing with the uh, the Rocket Club and, and the Ajax game. What, 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 were your, um, what were your experiences of that? I presume it was a source of fun for, for his teammate. Johnny Carew is an absolute legend. If you knew John, it wouldn't surprise you at all. That's all, that's all I can say really. Like, but, but I can't imagine it would phase him. Like I don't know, I don't know how long he might have been doing that in his career. So it, you know, it's one of those things. He got caught in Rocket Club the night before um, Ajax. From what I, I believe, still to this day, is I think he thought, or he kind of had a hint that he was going to be rested anyway. But he took that as I'll, I'll go out rather than kind of oh well, I'll have a nice time either sat on the bench or or, or in the stands tomorrow. So um, I think that's the side that John didn't allow margin for shall I say um but yeah, it was just it was just funny and it's all innocent John was single he had no like you know if, if he's got a missus and stuff like it causes problems but um it was just funny because the songs afterwards just just made it for me you know sitting on the bench and if, you, if you're ever on the bench and you're singing along with the fans or even on the pitch sometimes you find yourself John Carew, Carew. so yeah so it was it's brilliant uh listening to those chants and it's you know it's infamous now so Johnny was an absolute legend and, and what a guy that Ajax game, I think you were on the bench, um, came off came off the bench for the closing stages of that. Yeah. You know, we, we're Villa fans, the Villa podcast, so we're obviously a little bit biased. But was that the kind of night that you signed for when you saw Villa Park in, in, in full flow like that? Yeah, I think, you know, you think about playing in Europe, yeah, but you think about the fact of, you know, trying to be a progressive club and trying to jump into that top four, which we aimed for and always fell short because we probably weren't good enough for it if we've been being totally honest but you know going to the likes of Anfield and giving them a giving Liverpool a game um, going hard against uh, Arsenal's and the Manchester United's and, and, and putting in good performances to go to those teams but that night when it was rocking you know especially in night game Ajax historic European superpower club and you know we're winning the game and, and then obviously I got to come on I, I don't even don't know if I got to touch the ball to be honest I think there was a header I might have managed to get my head on just to make sure I touched it but I think I literally come off like three minutes or something just to kind of see it out but yeah they are they are big nights that you look forward to it's just a shame that you know during some of those uh, campaigns like we didn't go a whole hog for it because we were we were doing so well in the league so we kind of prioritised trying to get in the top four over, you know, pushing on to get further in the, in the UEFA Cup, it was at the time. I think with Moscow and what happened in Moscow, sometimes we kind of reinvent that as if it was the semi-final. I think it, I think it was, there were still... 16, I think, yeah. I'm going to say there were still several hurdles to overcome, but 
what what were your feelings look on it looking back on it now do you are you disappointed that that martin didn't go stronger with it and, and give give villa a, a greater crack at it yeah i think that's that's my individual feeling though that's me being selfish and wanting to wanting to win that game and wanting to play against more european superpowers and try different stadiums and different styles of football so that selfish side yes but if it had worked out then it would have been a masterstroke. Do you know what I mean? If, if, if he said that he rested these players and, and we won. But the big thing is it wasn't just a case that we were resting players. It was a case, I think, the likes of Barry Bannon, I think, made his debut that night. Maybe Mark Brighton And I know Nathan Delfonso started up front because we had a goal disallowed that actually was onside and we could have actually won it with that team, to be honest. Um, but we ended up obviously losing 2-0 where we're chasing it and things like that. Yes, but it was just, yeah, for me, it was it was frustrating because I wanted to win and knowing we're going there and, and even some of the senior players that did go, you know, like John Carew was was kitted and on the bench, but he was never going to play because of the um, the pitch, because it was an, uh, a 3G pitch. He was never going to play because he can't, he can't handle it on his knees. Um, so it, it was highly frustrating for me, but still a massive experience to play at a place like that, both the hostility side of it, playing on that pitch, big European night. Um, yeah, frustrating, but but all for the experience of of, an, of a career. I think the following game, it was Stoke and Glenn Whelan because Glenn Whelan pops a screamer in the top corner in the last minute. Is how does yeah. that how does that then feel? You're cruising in a game with all due respect to team you should beat. If you, if you if you've got them aspirations to get in the top four, you're cruising against team you should beat, and to let them come back into it, it just highlights the the Moscow thing more. That that's the problem. It, it, you know that wasn't. That wasn't the problem. Moscow was set aside, really. It's the fact that we didn't see a game out that we should have won and we had been very good at doing that. Um, so I think that was the bigger frustration at day, regardless of Moscow. Um, but obviously the bigger picture, as you talk about, it always comes back to why did you rest all those players just to put in that performance? So, you know, you take it with a pinch of salt, but I do totally understand fans why they are frustrated with that. Because as I said, I was frustrated myself. You think you've been quite openly open and honest in admitting that that Villa fell short of Champions League for a couple of seasons because, in your opinion, weren't quite good enough. Was there something? And we, we've got our kind of amateur amateur psychologist theories that that Martin used the squad so much so that by the time it got to March, you know whether there was nothing left to give or whether the pressure got got too much. What what's your theory for for why it just kind of unravelled around that time of season? I think it's not so much Martin. And his tightening squad, because if you've got a team and they're playing well you, you and they're fit, you, you want to play them as much as possible. Um, and, you know, those players want to play as much as possible. So you could ask any player, oh, would you like to have been rested this game, that game? No, because <laughs> ultimately a rest gives someone else to take your, a chance to take your place. You know, so I, I didn't want to be rested. I'm sure you speak to Ash, you speak to uh, Gareth, you speak to anyone that was involved in that time, they wouldn't have wanted to be rested um, because, like I say, someone takes your place. If you're a striker, someone scores two, all of a sudden you're at the team. So that side of it, I wouldn't say so. But the difference is the big sides that we're used to rotating, when somebody does come in, <clears throat> with all due respect, you know, they're bringing on an international that's going to replace them. So they've got uh, two teams of internationals, whereas us, we were working on, in my eyes, probably... 15 players that you'd say could start for Martin in terms of in his in his eyes shall I say um, and then the rest is you might come on or you'll come on if somebody's injured that, that kind of is where we were so I think that's the difference in terms of looking at the squad as 
a 24-man squad, but only 15 of you are probably going to play compared to United, Chelsea, all them having a 22-man squad. And if this person dropped out, that person went in, you wouldn't even blink an eyelid at it. So I think that was it. It was just that, that, that strength in depth, which is the oldest cliche in football, but we just lacked it when it comes to the crucial time. To stay there, to sustain it, you're going to have to go again and then go again. Um, and unfortunately, it just, you know, some some of the, the the politics within the football club meant that we weren't going to be able to spend that money. And um, yeah, and we ended up falling away from it. And, and unfortunately, the club in general ended up falling well away for it years later and, and going out of the division. So it all starts somewhere. But to think that, you know, those 10 years ago, we were finishing six three seasons on the spin. And now you're looking at it where, even though the club's back to where it belongs in the Premier League and doing really well, to say that the club had dropped out of the division and had to get back up, um, just I, I never would have thought that when I was at the football club, put it that way. Following season, Curtis, you, you're still in the... Still in- um, in favour, in form, you're still in the in the, the starting eleven. Um, you go and sc- I think you scored at Anfield, didn't you? In that yeah. um, in that three-one win. What? Where does that rank up there in terms of your time at Villa? That scoring that goal and playing in that game. Um, it, it, it's it's right up there. It's a massive, massive moment. But it's the bittersweet in my mind because it's my last league game for Villa. So for me, you know. When you talk about injuries and backing yourself to come back, what happened with me is um, basically I'll, I'll cut the story short. But I had three shoulder injuries, um, two shoulder injuries through the through the summer side. So one against Porto in the Peace Cup. Um, ended up playing against Juventus three days later and um, strapped it up, no problem. Then when the season started, I had um, the first leg of Rapid Vienna. I dislocated it again, so second time within a month. Strapped it up to play a Liverpool game. So I played against Liverpool. Um, we went there, obviously, we Ash scored, or deflected goal, shall I say, one new up, I score, cop end, two new up, you know, fantastic, brilliant. And then obviously, we go and get the result in the end, 3-1, um, see the game out. And yeah, I'm I'm at the top, I'm in my head, I'm thinking, you know, we'd be a really good side. And, and you know, considering we'd lost to Wigan earlier in uh, for the first game of the season, it was a, a massive game to bounce back. So for me, it was, yeah, this is the level that we're at, lads. This is it. Here we go. And unfortunately, we played Rapid Vienna again on the Thursday in the second leg and I dislocated my shoulder again. So for me, it was um, the three strikes and you're out type thing. Um, the doc said it's basically going to keep going. And um, I had surgery on my shoulder. Um, but unfortunately for me, is we were always looking to get a centre-half in because that night had just been sold to Bolton. Um, we had Kieran Clark as the young lad that was coming through um, to back up the squad. But... With my injury, it then meant that rather than getting one set and a half in, we, we needed two. And Martin managed to to push through two. And those two were, were fantastic. It was Richard Dunn and James Collins. And <clears throat> it was it was it was very tough after that to, to see any football, um, even when I was fit. But there's this there's def- there's more to that story. Um yeah, in a minute. <laughs> so in terms of the, the shoulder injury. What kind of pain is that? I used to play play for a, a Sunday league with a fella who played alongside me. He used to get used to pop it back into place. I don't know how yeah. bad how severely it was, but it was horrible to be honest to look at him doing it. We've spoken about kind of a leg injury restricting you, your life and, and your movements. That must have been really, really awkward, uncomfortable, and painful. It, it wasn't because because <laughs> I, again I, I could pop it back in myself. I just I just had to make sure nobody touches me. And just don't try and mess with me. And I'll just like, pull my arm in. And I'll just feel it sink back in. 
So I was able to do it. And it happened earlier. Uh, so it happened the season before when I was played all those games, the 45 games. It happened against Everton. I think we played them in the FA Cup. We lost. But I dislocated it three times in the same game. But I kept popping it back in because we were losing. I wasn't going to come off. I was refusing to come off. But the next season, I thought, well, it hasn't happened for a while. I'll be fine. And unfortunately, like I say, pre-season it started. Porto, then Rapid Vienna twice. And it was like, well, okay, it does need doing. But it wasn't an issue for me. It was just the fact that once it goes, it's weak and it's vulnerable. And that's the only side of it that was uncomfortable for me in my head. Because as a centre-half that you want to go side to side with someone, you have to use your arms for leverage when you jump in for headers. Um, it's not nice knowing that one little knock can can knock it out of out of joint but yeah I was never worried about the pain it was just the fact that it was vulnerable and and yeah but I, I've, I've done my left since then and I just popped it in and cracked on and, and end up playing a, a 48 game season so yeah definitely definitely not an issue in terms of pain just just the frustration of uh, the laxity of the joint so you've got dodgy Achilles dodgy shoulders but but a really high pain threshold is that is that the way you've been built <laughs> yeah that's it that's that's I must be made of strong stuff but I said with me if I go over my whole career I've hardly had any little niggle injuries. I've not really had many calf out. I've had a calf out for three weeks. I had um, a hamstring that was mismanaged because a new manager came in and I had to play blah, blah, blah. But that was like seven weeks, eight weeks. But other than that, it's like shoulder, three months, a broken foot, six weeks, and then three months when I had to have it operated on. Three Achilles, six months each, you know, I've, I've, you know, and, but that's the crazy thing. I'll, I'll have an Achilles, then I'll, then I'll train every session for a year and a half, two years. It's just, it's crazy how my body works. I would like to know what it is, whether, <laughs> whether I'm just a bit too, too crazy or something. I don't know, but, um, but yeah, it's just really frustrating when, when that happens to you. You mentioned the Peace Cup, and this always pops into my mind as well about <laughs> um, Del Piero's penalty. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I the, when you say peace cup, the smile come on my face because it's the best stag do I've ever been on. <laughs> and that's the god's honest truth. Like I, you know, I, I'm on a Villa podcast. I'm not at the club anymore. I can I can be totally honest. But considering we went there right and we're playing against top sides, we're playing against top European sides, and you know Real Madrid win the competition, and and Sevilla, and all these clubs are in the competition. But we were there, I think, for maybe twelve days. I think. I must have gone out myself uh, about eight times out of twelve. I think I think maybe a couple of others, probably Carew, I think might have might have top ten. And but the thing is it's because, you know, we were given the thing of, oh well, go out for the day, um, enjoy yourself, you got a free afternoon. So obviously we're in my bear. <laughs> so we're going to we're going to Ocean Club or going to Plaza Beach and well, have, have a beer, have a, have a beer. Yeah, go on, have have one, have one, have, have two. It turns into five or six, and you're going back. It's like, oh no, I'll be all right. I'll be all right for training tomorrow. You train, and then the game comes up, and you play a game. You end up winning. And you're like, oh, all right, we've cracked it. So you got another game in a couple of days. Like, well, we might as well do the same again. Should we just go down Plaza Beach? And that's how it was. It was kind of like. If we hadn't got the results or we'd been battered, lads would have been like, no, we can't do really do that. But because we, we – I know we lost the first game, but Ash, Ash scored a late goal to, to see us through and actually got us to the semi-final and things like that. But it was just like before – But the, I think that it might have even been a day of Porto. We had we got had a free afternoon and we, we were just on, on the beach and just like having a few beers. It's like we're going to get battered anyway by Porto. So what's the point? We end up beating them. And then – but that, that's how it was. Honestly, it was just – it was – it was such a good laugh. And in terms of team morale and team building, in terms of trying to sneak out of that hotel, <laughs> that, that, was, that was the best thing. But that penalty does 
you know, it's, he's a legend, absolute legend. When you talk about footballers, it's, it's, you know, it's thrown around too often, but to even see him, I was slightly starstruck, you know, but the way he took that penalty and then Brad Guzan getting in his face afterwards just, just made me laugh. I thinking Brad's, Brad's hammering a legend, but with, 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 with right. But yeah, it was, it was brilliant. And yeah, just, just that, that trip is just, it's got so much fondness in my, in my memory from, from my whole football career. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely one of the best trips I've ever had. Not only because of the nights out, but because the level of football we played and the fact, you know, you can go toe to toe with the Juventus side and we pretty much had a, a reserve slash youth team, under 23 team, um, playing. It, it's, it's incredible. And, and, and that's, that, that was a, a massive, massive experience. No wonder you didn't um, feel the pain of that shoulder if you're 10 points deep <laughs> and three triple amarettos. There's, there's no danger you're feeling that, is that? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, like I say, it was just like I, said, I, I can just switch into that th- thinking about it like it was yesterday and it was just just the laughs and some of the some of the people that, you know, trying to sneak out the fire exit. And then there were times where we were allowed out and other times we weren't, but we were going out anyway. Um, I remember we all said, right, meet by the back door. Um, back fire exit, we'll go out the, the car park and go out that bit and we'll get taxis to pick us up from there. So I just remember we we went in, like, so we've got a couple of the young lads with us, like like Shane Lowry, who at the time was a kid, shouldn't really have been coming out with us. But like, we we, we get in this taxi and then um, the taxi starts driving towards the front of the hotel. I'm thinking, like, oh, why is he driving? He might, he might just be like turning around. I don't know what he's doing. Driving towards the front of the hotel. He pulls up to the front of the hotel. I'm in, I'm in the front I think um, I was with Steve Sidwell and Freddie Boomer and, and Shane Lowry. And this, he, he winds down the window, my window, because it, they're driving the left-hand side. He says, oh, talks in Spanish to the cab coordinator. And who starts walking to the car? <laughs> it's Martin. So, <laughs> so I had I had like um, a, a tissue or a towel or something because it was sweating. Obviously, we'd like all sneaking through the back. So I was just trying to dab my face and like trying to hide, trying to hide. And then um, I just remember in the back, Freddie Boomer was like literally sit, sat in the footwell, even though there's three of them in the back. Shane Lowry's thinking, oh, my Villa career's done. And and City's the same, you know. But I'm right in the front. I couldn't really hide. So I just tried to play it off. Like, I hadn't seen him. I'm not seeing him. And he, he must have seen me. He must have seen me. Like, there's no way he didn't see me. But the cabbie's eventually driven off and, and we've gone through the night. And we're like, how do you get away with that, lads? But thinking, no, oh, he's going to know tomorrow. And luckily, he didn't say anything. And then obviously, I, I just think personally, because we won and then we won again, obviously, to win the final. I don't think he ever brought it up, but I think it would have been a great thing to batter us with if we'd lost. So I think he pocketed it, but fortunately for us, it didn't come back up. But it was just, the, the, I just remember seeing Freddie Boomer's face and he was just, he was, he was just shouting at the cab driver, why are you driving here? Like swearing at him. It was like, but it was just fun, funny now, but at the time it's like my heart had sunk right down to, yeah, right down to my stomach. But, yeah, it was again the even more so more reason why it's such a, a good trip. That was the last thing Villa won as well. That was the Peace Cup. So um, you, you're part part of a cup winning dynasty. Let, let's pick up there. Generally, what it was like your relationship with with Martin, and because I wanted to, I'm fascinated by Martin O'Neill because you know we saw him from a press point of view. We got a glimpse behind the curtain occasionally, and sometimes you'd like what you saw, and sometimes you, <laughs> sometimes you wouldn't. What what was he like to to play for then? I think a lot of people look at you know when I, when Martin had left and I did a press interview um, with Pete Colley and people think like I was being out of order like um, I shouldn't have done that I shouldn't have said what I said but 
it was me speaking honestly. So Martin signed me and I was delighted to sign for the football club and I played a lot of games for him. So there's no issue that side of it. Um, my, my personal issue came from um, when I got injured, uh, I had obviously done and Collins had signed. Um, I was fit after the three months and I was ready to go at the end of December towards January. But I knew I was never getting in the team. The team were doing well. Um, the team were thriving. So I knew I wasn't going to get in the team. So I, I realistically looked at it for best thing for me is get on loan. And at the time, I could have gone to Wigan um, with Roberto Martinez or Celtic with Tony Mowbray. And I went to see the manager and just said, Gaffer, um, I've, I've, you know, I'm looking at the side. I've just come back from an injury. He said, I'm not going to get in the team. I said, um, <clears throat> I prefer to go on loan try and get myself back to the level I, I believe I can get to and then I'll come back next season I'll fight for my place and I walked out, w- walked in there thinking yeah he would say no problem but you know he said no 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 don't be silly son you know you're, you're gonna you're gonna have a part you're gonna have a part to play you, you're big you're very big for us you'll have a big part to play so I went from going in there thinking I'm gonna need to leave here to, to coming out thinking oh, okay maybe maybe I, I'm higher thought of than I thought um, and then Unfortunately, what happened there was I kind of came back into the squad slowly, but I was in the squad, maybe not on the bench, then in the squad on the bench, in the squad on the bench, in the squad on the bench, and then slowly in the squad, not on the bench, not on the bench, and then not even in the squad. And it kind of got to February then, the the deadline had gone. So I personally think that from that, that point of view in terms of with me, I think it was just, you know, it built me up, yes, but it was more so that I couldn't go elsewhere and, and potentially do well elsewhere to, and it might come back on the club, bad on Martin or the club. So I think that side of it was one thing. But the day-to-day thing with Martin is you understand if you're in his 11 that week, you're everything. If you're not, you're nothing. And that's a cluffy thing. That's, that's you know, it would walk past you in the corridor with his head down, not say hello. I think the sooner you got to understand that and, and dealt with it, the better. But, you know, I've said things before and, and, and I've said about he had favourites. I don't mean like favourites. Like managers have favourites, of course. Um, like every manager has a favourite. I'm not silly or naive to that. It was just, you know, like when when you talk about Gabby was a favourite because he was pulling up trees. Ash was a favourite. He was pulling up trees. But then he had like a, a Craig Gardner that was one of his favourites because he'd play any position for him, go for a brick wall for him. Martin Larson, you know, go for a brick wall for him type thing. So... I think it's been misconstrued when I've said about favourites before, like as if they were players that are playing all the time. I think it's just, that was my idea of favourites. And that's why I wanted to get that cleared up on here. But yeah, if you're one of his favourites, he'd speak to you all the time, basically. But if not, you have to be in his eleven to kind of get his get his attention. You know, you're still a kid. A kid is probably, probably pushing it a bit much, but you're still a really young man, a really young kind of professional. And somebody who's bigging you up and has paid... A good sum of money, West Bromwich Albion, to bring you in the team, has kind of put you back in the team after injury. To go from that and feeling really, really wanted to then being snubbed in the corridor at Bodymore, that that can't be easy to come to terms with straight away. The the toughest thing for me was, you know, I I knew what Martin was like and I knew he had that standoffish thing because it was a cluffy thing that he'd learnt from from Clough and, and that kind of management style, which, you know, like I say, you accept, but... You know, when I had my first operation with my Achilles, Martin was there on the night to see me. And that for me was like, oh, wow, massive. Like, you know, managers come to see me. 
my bed. Like he must think well of me. Yeah. So that was one thing. And not not that I'm like a big, you know, hug me, molly coddle me kind of player. I'm not like that. But so afterwards when I had my next operation, this is considering, you know, I'd popped it back in after Porto to play in the final because um Kieran Clark got sunstroke at, at Ocean Beach. <laughs> um so I played against I, so I played against Juventus because Kieran Clark had sunstroke, we had no one else. So that's the reason I played. But I was like, no, listen, it's Juventus. I'll strap it up and I'll play, which I did. And we, we won. And at, at the time, the club thought they were getting 2 million euros. I don't know if they got the money for it in the end. But yeah, so it was like a big thing. And then the next time I strapped it up was the Liverpool game. So, you know, did it on the Thursday. Liverpool were playing on the Monday. And then he said to me, like, I need you. I need you, big man. I need you to play. And I was like, yeah, no problem, Gaffer. Like, yeah, I'll do that. No problem at all. Strapped it up after the game. Score. We win. Hugging me, you know, hugging me. Oh, you're a lion. What a player. You're a lion, like shaking me like like Martin does. And um, and then from there, I did my shoulder on the Thursday and then I didn't speak to him. Like literally, I think I had one conversation before going into his office when I initiated it that I wanted to see him. I didn't speak to him. The only one, one time I spoke to him is just because if, if you know Martin, he's really awkward. So the as you go through to the physio room at Bodymore Heath, um, the massage room's on the left and I was waiting to get treatment on my shoulder, but I was doing some um, like shoulder rotation stuff with a dumbbell. And just because the door was wide open, he felt like he couldn't walk past and not say hello, if you know what I mean. So he kind of popped his head in and said, oh, hi, hi guys, hi, hiya. And like kind of said, and then started saying odd things to me. And I was just, I was quite annoyed and upset I hadn't heard from him. Um, so I just like was just down, my head down. And he was just asking me questions and I was giving one word answers. And I, I made it as awkward as possible uh, because that's how I felt. Um, but yeah, that, that was the only kind of time I spoke to him. So that it, for me, it was the contrast, not not the fact that he didn't talk to you. It was the contrast of, you know, he's by my bedside the day after the operation and then uh, the day of the operation, sorry. And then the next time I didn't speak to him for like three months properly, really. Was that the case with his coaches as well? Because I'm, I'm also fascinated by the kind of dynamic of him, Steve Wolford, John Robertson. Um, I'm just trying to think who else was in his team back then. It was probably those were his main his main yeah. allies. Would they be the same or would they be laughing and joking and still be chatty? Or? Oh, no, they, they were their own personalities. Martin's, Martin's got his, his way of doing things. He's the manager, though. He's the powerful one. Um, whereas, you know... Steve Wolf, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to to get him to to be downbeat and try and ignore you. He's just he's like quite a lively character, you know the way he speaks and everything like that. And Robbo was just was was just Robbo. Robbo was there for the ride, kind of just enjoyed being there. Didn't do a lot, but 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 enjoyed being there and being part of it. So you know, Robbo would still say hello and things like that. There was no like all of us must ignore Curtis. It was no like agenda to it. It was just a case that um, unfortunately, you know. That that's the way the manager did things, but like I say, it's just you need to get your head around that um, because that's how things are. Was there any truth in this kind of this clause that was going to trigger either a financial payment, another another instalment to West Brom, or a pay rise for you, or whatever it was? What was the truth around that? <laughs> what I'm led to believe, I personally needed a couple more games to trigger an extension. So if I played the two more games. I would have to have an improved extension, even if it were a pound more. So for me, it was an extra year. But I obviously don't know the full West Brom to, to Villa paperwork, but I believe there was a kick in for Villa as well once I reached that 60-game mark as well, that they'll get a, a, a fee as well. So I think they looked at the situation at the time 
and you know they had four centre halves because Kieran Clark had had stepped right up to the plate and was a good player, um, <clears throat> and I was the fifth one. So you know, if today bite the bullet and get rid of me rather than making those payments, or do they do they do they try and reintegrate me and and potentially play, make those payments when I still might not get in the team? So I think it was a decision that was made. I, I don't know this for sure. This is just me. And what I believe, um, because it was just the way I was just right in the cold. Um, it was just a bit right out of the way. And and I just personally think, because this wasn't Martin at the time, it was it was Gerard Houllier. You know, Gerard had taken over. And like I said, with when I did that interview with Pete Colley, it was a new manager. So maybe a fresh set of eyes and a fresh chance. But it wasn't the case. And that's what I found really weird, that a new manager comes in and I, I, I Sometimes I wasn't even training with the first team. I was training with Kev and, and under twenty ones or under twenty threes, whatever they're called. So for me, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was strange that that happened. But in the back of my head, it was, well, is this the reason? But for me, I, I think the biggest thing that the club could have done is, you know, if I'd gone on loan, I would have kept my value, and then they could have sold me. But ultimately, my value ends up dwindling down to to, to nothing almost uh, in comparison to what they paid for me, um, and. It, it just it's no good for anyone it's quite brutal isn't it football when you're talking yeah. about you know i know there's these huge sums of money involved but when you're talking about discarding somebody and you know the 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 effect that must have had on your self-esteem and your kind of mental well-being it's just so so cutthroat again as a footballer i'm i'm experienced i'm long in the tooth now i'm, I'm 36 next week you know that any time a club wants to spin negativity towards a player it's easy because the club have the, the right to, to put out statements and say the player's done this, player's done that. You know, like when I was leaving West Brom, for instance, you know, I was handing transfer requests, which I was, but nobody talks about the fact that I was given these promises and they didn't happen. You know, it's always spin it the way you want. Whereas when a club wants to get rid of you, they say, oh no, it's okay. It's, that's fine. It's no problem. Because you're like, you know, we look at the situations where these, there's these players that have got no relegation clause on their contracts and club trying to move them on. It's like, well, hang on, you put this contract in front of me and, and sign me for four years, whatever it is. But yet you want me to walk away from that because you're not happy. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's always in the club's favour, I find. And obviously, you know, if, if you ever come out and talk too much about it, the club can fine you. So they'll maybe get their money back that way. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's that, that's the way football is. And, and us as footballers understand that. But it's only on things like this that, you know, I'm, I'm not attached to the club anymore. That I'm able to come out and say that because, that's what I, I personally believe in. And, I, you know, I think it happened maybe to, to other players afterwards. Just towards the end of O'Neill's last season, again, what was, and again, I'm not trying to, to say this to upset you, but what, what was it like when Villa were going to a cup final uh, against Man United in the League Cup and back at Wembley for a semi-final against Chelsea in the um, in the FA Cup, beating Blackburn 6-4 in the semi-final? Were you just... Literally suited and booted, sat in the director's box for for a lot of this. Or yes, I was I was there for both. Um, I was sat in the paddock, as it were, um, behind the bench. <clears throat> so behind the benches at Wembley, there's like about twenty other suites, and I was in one of those as one of the, the squad members that wasn't um, kitted up. Um, but yeah, I was still listen. I was still a big supporter of the boys. I, I can't switch off to that. I wasn't bitter like oh they're doing this without me. I wasn't like that. I wanted them to win. You know when Fidic brought down um, Gabby <coughs> and managed to stay on the pitch, like it's sickening. But it, it it was one of those things that if they had gone and won it and you weren't part of it, 
I think I would have had to be standoffish because I wouldn't have felt I would have felt like a fraud getting involved in that. If you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, it, it was one of those things. I was delighted for the boys. They're still my teammates. They're still lads I get on with every day. So why am I going to let myself turn into that bad egg that that doesn't want to be friends with with them when they're on the pitch and doing well, but wants to be their friend in the change room? I, I couldn't switch off to that, and it was just more frustrating for me that I'm sitting here doing nothing when you know I've been fit. Do you know? Do you know? Like when you have those, I've had injuries, so I've had long term injuries, and you can't get on the pitch. I'm in a situation where I'm fit. I should have been somewhere playing and showing how good I am, but I'm here doing nothing. And that was the biggest frustration for me. So just on, on to, to Julia then, you've, you've alluded to this a little bit anyway, but you is that when your mind started thinking, well, there must be something untoward because I've not even had a chance under this new fella? Yeah, well, you know, I, I can give you another story, simple one. I, I, you know, a Carling Cup or whatever it was called, a League Cup game at the time, um, and we played Blackburn. And, you know, it was always a team that was m- a lesser team when you go in the Carling Cup, in the earlier rounds anyway. And um, I was on the bench. So I was on the bench because it was a lesser team. Um, and I came on. So I came on, I think Stephen Warnock got injured. So I think maybe Carlos Quay moved to left back or something like that. But I came on and I, I played and I came on. And I think I I like did well in the 20 minutes. I think I won a header, a big header that ended up being almost an assist and we scored from it. So what Gerard the next day, so that was maybe the Wednesday and, and then came in the Thursday and I was training with the, the lads, the first team, because obviously I only played 20 minutes um, and, and they didn't have a lot. So I was definitely training the first team that day. And he said to me, he pulled me aside and said, listen, he goes, um, I know you haven't really had a look in, you haven't been near it. Um, but now after the way I see you come on yesterday, you come on yesterday, you're ready. You know, you you have that header, you get the assist, um, you were ready. And I like that attitude. I like the attitude that you have n- had no games, but you, you were ready. So I'm going to be keeping you really close and make sure you're challenging these for their place. And I, there's me thinking, I, I had a buzz. I was like, my, my career's back. You know, I, I, I can still be a Villa player here. Do you know what I mean? I, I've got a real chance still. Um, so that was the, the Thursday. The Friday, we come, come in, we were travelling away somewhere. I wasn't in the squad. <laughs> so I was like, so you're going to have me that close to the players that I'm going to be watching them from home. <laughs> so for me, that that was the bizarre thing. You know, if he, if he never said anything to me at all, I wouldn't have thought, I would have just thought, I need to get out of here. But the fact that I kind of came on that game, I got boosted by it. And then actually it was like, like the actual actual reverse that it almost like depressed me that the fact that he said that and then they've gone no like you're not going to play so obviously fortunately for me I managed to get out and and get on loan to Leicester because um, I need to play football I, I'd had a bad time in terms of you know mentally uh, in my personal life and with not playing it, it was difficult and um yeah it was it was the lowest i've ever been as an as a as a, in my life as a human being as a as an adult or a kid um and yeah i wouldn't wish it on anyone but i needed that that release to to go to Leicester and have that loan spell because that's that's what saved my career in in my mind really do you think it's because you are this kind of plain speaking kind of guy and when you were talking about how your achilles how the surgeon described that you don't like people you just want people to be straight with you don't you rather than just yeah. kind of messing you around yeah, if someone's if someone says to me, if if he said go back to that that meeting with Martin, if he says I can't let you go on loan because I need you as backup to the first team, even though I would have been annoyed and frustrated, <clears throat> it would have been well, I know I'm only here as backup, and I'll have to get my head around it. 
Whereas because it was like, no, you're going to be involved, you're going to be a part of it, blah, blah. And then, like I said, I was in the squads, in the squads, then not in the squads. For me, that was a lot more frustrating because you've, I feel like I've been mugged off, if you know what I mean. Whereas if you just tell me straight, you, you're not having me, you don't like me as a player, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. You, you can be one man's diamonds, one man's dog's mess. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't make a difference to me. I'll find someone else that does want me. And unfortunately, like I say, when that conversation came up with Gerard, he, he didn't have to say anything to me. Like I said, there's been times I'm not even trained with him. But the fact he said, I'm going to keep you really close to him and then I'm not even in the squad just kind of summed it up. And yeah, shortly after I managed to get myself to Leicester. But the, the frustrating thing is obviously um, I went to Birmingham in the January and, and they went on to win the Carling Cup and, and I wasn't part of it again. So um, that was um, obviously a, a knock-on effect and, and a, a nice... Uh, thank you present from Villa, which they gave me to leave, really. so Of course, you've been, you were cup-tied because you played 14 minutes for Gerard. Yep. Yep. And that's it. So, obviously, I, I, I wouldn't have played anyway, but, you know, um, if I were there and potentially, or if I had got on the pitch, I might have. But, you know, it's one of those things. <laughs> Just a couple more things, then I'll let you go, I promise. Um, who, was your best, who was your best mate at Villa, Curtis? I always got on really well with, with Stuart Taylor. I think um, it was weird, like because because I had friends from West Brom. It's not I didn't mix um, with with the lads, of course, from Villa. It was more just I I had friends from West Brom that were my kind of Birmingham friends away from football, um, and it was never a case that oh I'm, I'm always running around with this person because there was I don't say sleep, but there was no need to have that extra special bond because you know I, I had friends already as such, and we all had our, our own lives, but. I'd say in terms of, yeah, maybe maybe Stewie Taylor. I think he's from um, near where I'm from um, in London slash Essex. So, yeah, got on well with him. You know, Cass was uh, Scott Carson was, was funny and a good guy. And yeah, I just, I, I was one of them that, you know, floated about. I was quite friendly with everyone. Johnny Carew as well. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say I was quite close to John Carew. Like, I had a, had a few nights out with him, which are interesting. Um, yeah, but... Yeah, it, it was one of those things, it, it surprised you, but I wasn't actually super close to the young lads. Even though we got on, I wasn't super close to, to Gabby, to Ash. You know, it, it just was one of those things we, we didn't, you know, you got different personalities. Um, and yeah, I was I was probably closer to the likes of, you know, we'd play, I'd play cards on the bus with like Millie and, and guards and, and those kind of players. And so, yeah, I think I was just maybe an, an older soul. So that's why Stuart Taylor was uh, was more of my mate. One of the things that we ask everybody we get on is, can you can you share with us one of the stupidest or funniest pranks that you've witnessed during your time at the club? Is there anything you can remember? Um, stupidest or funniest pranks? It would only be the stuff like, you know, if you're on the massage chair and someone does something to your um to your to your private parts when you're not looking because you're getting treatment or yeah, it's only things like that. I can't I can't particularly think of anything where you know somebody's done anything to someone's car or anything like that. I think it was quite, um, in terms of that side of it, it was quite sensible. So if anything, it would be, it would probably be something that, I don't know, Craig Gardner might've done something to someone like to their shoes and maybe involving um, urine or something like that. I don't know, but, <laughs> but yeah, so, something like that, I, I, that. That's, that's kind of where it would be, but I can't name a specific because um, I don't really remember. I don't remember it being that kind of dressing room. It's more just banter and, and laughs and, and, and nights out when you're in Marbella. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, when you when you left for um, for Blues, then obviously kind of it's, it's going to the dark side when you as Villa fans. But I presume you just needed to play football, didn't you, Curtis? The way I saw it is I I'd not played for a year basically, so I didn't feel like a Villa player anymore. 
I felt like the spare part. So for me, I, I don't know why Villa fans would be upset with me going because I was nowhere near it. If I if I was playing and then was, oh, now I want to go to Blues, that's a totally different thing. I was I was a spare part. I wasn't wanted. Why not get me off the wage bill? I wanted to do the right thing. I could have stayed there and taken my money. I wanted to do the right thing and go and get, revive my career. And I did that by going on loan to Leicester. And eventually when, when Birmingham came in, in in the January, I was actually meant to go to Leicester back on loan. But it was the club that said, we want you to go to Birmingham because Birmingham have had a permanent bid. And obviously, you know, I, I, I went along and I was happy to to sign for, at the time, a, a Premier League club. Um, so, yeah, there's there's no regrets in that side of it. Um, it the only regret is, you know, I, I wasn't given more chance at Villa. I know there's still a few years left in your yet as a footballer once you get that, that pesky Achilles um, sorted. But you're venturing down a kind of media route now. You've done some of your journalism training. What one question should we have asked you that we've neglected to ask you? <laughs> oh, I think I think you should have just gone straight for the jugular with and probed me on Martin because that's what everyone else wants to hear. That's what everyone wants to know. And and um, yeah, but I think I've been quite honest. So you wouldn't have had to ask me anything because I've given you information that you probably didn't 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 have on the list. I've, I've probably given you a bit more. So this can be a bonus feature. Um, but yeah, I think I think you've you've covered all bases. To be fair, I think it would have been you know a tricky one about Martin and. But there was, there's nothing, you know. It, it, it's one of those things that I've, I've kind of spoke my mind. I've, I've said it honestly, similar to the way I spoke about Gerard and that, and that conversation after the Carling Cup game. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything that you could have asked that that would have improved this anyway. No, it's brilliant. Like I say, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've got more than we bargained for with the, the Oceana story, anyway, and the. Uh... <laughs> Hiding from, hiding from Martin in the taxi. Listen, Curtis, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, we wish you well for your recovery and get get you back on a football field soon. And even when you're not, we're enjoying you behind a microphone uh, with your punditry stuff as well. So okay. um, you've been an absolute legend. And, and, and when you're fit again and when the world's a nicer place, we'll have to meet up for a triple amaretto and coke again for old time's sake. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a shame I don't drink anymore, mate. But yeah, I'll, I'll, have, a, I'll have a triple coke. <laughs> I'll, I'll drink yours you buy them yeah, I'll, drink right, him, yeah. I'll buy them you drink them that's fine that's no problem with me <laughs> no brilliant so um, you've been watching and listening to Clown Blue Podcast with our special guest Curtis Davis absolute legend thanks for your time and till next time up the villa Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode, but until then, up the villa. 